Good morning, everybody. It's a sad week last week, wasn't it? I'm not laughing. It's a sad week. All right, radical shift. So we're continuing on in the Gospel of Mark. We're up to chapter 2. We're going to begin uh, reading the first 17 verses of Mark chapter 2. I want to remind you, this is a compilation of Peter's sermons that Mark is writing down. And it is the most dramatic. It's the sharpest. It hits you. One commentator, biblical scholar, says the Gospel of Mark is like you're dead asleep. And it's like a whole bucket of cold water is being thrown in your face. That's what Mark is like. So uh, we're going to do some things in just a moment to throw some cold water in our face, all right? Because we have to be true to the text. So we're going to attempt to do that. We're going to talk about radical power today. Radical power. We see Jesus all throughout the gospel, Mark. There's a lot of power. But this is a very powerful situation that's going on that we're going to look at today in these first 17 verses of Mark chapter 2. Not just on a physical healing level, but spiritual power, emotional, mental power, stretching people, getting people to think rather than being rigid. He talks about later on in chapter 2, he talks about new wine and old wineskins and the need for stretching. And unless you put new wine in a new wineskin that's flexible and it's open, everything's going to just burst. So let's just read this. Mark chapter 2, radical power. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, Capernaum is now Jesus' kind of home base. All right? He's from Nazareth, but now he makes this town of Capernaum his home base. So he goes to Capernaum. There's just, he's, like, he's like a rock star. There's a frenzy around him all over the place. He entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. So many people gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. So back in those days, you had houses. They had an out, outside stair, staircase that would take you up to the roof where people would actually sleep. They would work on the roof. So we're talking, this is a serious roof. All right. It was made for holding people. It was made out of mud that became dried that was like concrete and thatch. So it's a serious roof. And it says that they did this. They could not get him because, uh, to the crowds because of Jesus. They made an opening roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, the word digging through it indicates serious demolition work was done. Right? Digging through it, they lowered the man on the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. So they had to create a hole big enough for a man lying down. It's not like a little hole that I'm just going to, sh- you know, like a fireman. It's got to be a big, huge hole. Right? This is what they do above Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, isn't that interesting? We saw it. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now you got to, your heart's got to go out to the poor guy. Right? His friends just go through all this effort. They just do serious demolition on this roof. He gets lowered down. And, you know, if he, you know, he's paralyzed, he can't move. He could move. You could imagine. He's like, ah, this is going to be my big moment. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Jesus is making a claim of divinity here. Sometimes people will say, well, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Well, this is what he's doing. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, 
Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, let's stop right there, Son of Man, this is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He uses it 80 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 14 times in the book of Mark. It's from Daniel chapter 7. The Messiah, God coming to earth, is called the Son of Man. Jesus is making another claim to divinity, and the leaders and the religious people back then, they knew exactly what he was doing. But that the Son of Man, that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. I'm just imagining it was like the parting of the Red Sea. He's high-fiving people. He's got that mat. He's just a big smile on his face. He got up, he took his mat, walked out full view of them, and this amazed everybody. Everybody's in awe at this powerful situation. They praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this before this powerful all right scene two two very important scenes in mark every one of the scenes are important but we can only deal with two of them today second scene the calling of levi now as much as that just blew people away who were hearing this this one does the same thing i mean this was tremendously controversial they're like (gasps) you know when this was when peter was preaching this to them there's a whoa listen to this once again Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Whoa. Didn't that just want to make you go, he called a tax? <gasps> you know, that, this is very controversial. The problem is, is not one of our heartbeats increased when I just read that. Not one. Nobody here. Nobody here said, oh my gosh, he called a tax collector. Can you, you know what? It's not controversial. Nobody calls me at the office and said, you know, Pastor John, I just read Mark 2. Jesus called a tax collector. What do you think about that? I mean, this is blowing me away. When Peter preached this, Right? Everybody went, (gasps) oh my goodness. So look, here, I'm getting ready to say something, and I don't have time to unpack it, so I'm going to ask for your grace. I don't have time to unpack it. I feel very serious. I'm not doing this for shock value. I'm not doing it to be, you know, funny. I'm not doing it for anything. I'm doing it because I feel it's extraordinarily important that we get in touch with what the Bible is saying. Mark, better than any other of the life of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark, better than any of them, puts you right in the middle of the action. That's what Mark is about. It's traumatic. It makes you think. It stretches you. So I began to think this past week, and God began to deal with me. What is the controversial equivalent to a tax collector? Being a tax collector, very controversial. What's the controversial equivalent to that? Nobody's calling me up at the office and asking me about tax collectors. You know what? Nobody's calling me at the office asking about Jesus either, just so you know. People are only calling the office, moving to the city, or they hear about grace. You know what? I'm thinking about coming to grace. I have one question first. I have one question. That one question is always the same. So I'm going to read the text different, all right? And let's see if it feels different when I do it. Once again, Jesus went out beside a lake. A large crowd came to him. He began to teach them, and he walked along. He saw Levi. 
son of Alpheus, a homosexual, out in front of a gay bar, and he said, follow me. Did that feel different? Did that feel different? That's the controversial equivalent. <gasps> oh my gosh, are you serious? We don't care about tax collectors. Well, we care that they take in our money, right? But <laughs> everybody in that audience just pulled all the air out of the room when Peter preached that. That's the controversial equivalent. Verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many of his friends, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for their, check this out, for there were many that followed Jesus. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? We can't get our brains wrapped around this. And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, we're all sick. If you're not understanding what Jesus is saying here, he's saying everybody's sick. It's just some people don't think they're sick. We're all in the same boat, 100%. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, we better pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Help us, God, to understand what it is that we need to understand today. We didn't just come here to pass the time. We didn't come here, God, just because we didn't have anything else to do this morning. We need to hear from you. We need to be touched by you. Our lives need to be changed by you. So please help us. In Christ's name, amen. All right. So here's the thing. These are two very, very powerful scenes. And God says in the scriptures, I will give you power. So for those of you, and I feel it's probably all of us, who we long to actually participate in that power, not just to read about it. I don't want to read about these powerful things Jesus did. Is there any way I can actually participate? And some of this kind of stuff, these powerful things that Jesus does, can I be a part of some of this power? How can we do this? And I think there's a, there's a roadmap here, actually, that shows us how we can participate in the power of Jesus Christ in this world. Because he says, I want to give you power. And the first thing was this. You've got to be radically helpless. Consider writing that down on the back of your sermon outline, that bulletin there. Be radically helpless radically helpless so it says here in the beginning it says this man they take this man lying on a mat he's a paralytic now in the king james version if anybody's out there anybody out there reading the king james bible still anybody show hands people look we got a couple people excellent it says he was sick with the palsy and when i was growing up we used to read sick with the palsy we had no idea what that meant we just knew we didn't want to catch it he was sick with the palsy he was a paralytic you know what that word means paralytic or palsy the greek word means this to be without power now, that changes everything, doesn't it? You might say, I'm not paralyzed, but are you without power? Are you powerful or are you powerless? And if you want to experience the power of God, you have to get to the place where you realize, I'm powerless. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I am the man on the mat. I am lying here with nothing else that I can do. I am helpless, hopeless, and powerless on the mat. Just like the sick people that are talked about later. If the sick 
don't get to the doctor that Jesus is talking about there. If they don't get to the doctor, they are going to, by implication here, die. They are going to die. The Gospel of Mark starts out with Jesus, with God, calling us out to the desert because God is the God of the desert. Why is God the God of the desert? Because when you're in the desert without God, you will die. You will die. Why? So, so okay, Israelites are um, in, they're enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And finally, God says, you know, let my people go. Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So they let them go, and they go out into the desert for 40 years to meet the God of the desert. What happens in the desert? Without God, there's no water in the desert. We, actually, we need water to survive. Without water, we will die. We will die. So, so they, oh, God. God, we need you. Without you, we will die. God says, speak to this rock. Water pours out of the rock. Or God shows them a piece of wood, and they throw it into these bitter waters, and they become sweet. God, God allows them to survive manna from heaven. Without God, they would die. They wouldn't have anything to drink. They wouldn't have anything to eat because in the water, there's no food. There's, there's no water. Out in the desert, there's nothing. Without God, we will die. Look what Jesus says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, my power is strongest when you are weak. My power is strongest when you're weak. When you're powerless, that's when my power is going to fill your life. Why or how does this look in our life, to be powerless, to be helpless before God? Somebody who's helpless or powerless before God is somebody who's like, they're praying all the time. And they're reading the Bible like all the time. God, I got to have God. They pray at the beginning of things. They pray in the middle of things. They pray at the end of things. And they don't do it for this. They don't like, hey, I've got to pray because, you know, it's my duty. Got to pray again. Got to have another quiet time with God. Man, because it's my duty. I've got to do it. That'd be a good Christian. I'm going to feel guilty unless I, I'm going to feel guilty, you know, unless I spend time in the word a little bit and, and I'm going to pray because you know, I, I got to do this. I mean, sometimes I enjoy praying, but most times I don't. It's kind of a duty and it's kind of a hassle and I got to set up my clock earlier and make time for it. And I got so many things other to do and work and I got emails and I got the family. I gotta, you know what? That's not the sentiment of being in the desert. You know what the sentiment is? Unless I talk to God, I am going to die. That's what it means to be helpless. If I say to you, you are the man on the mat, you are the man on the mat. Do you immediately embrace that or do you say, what are you talking about? Who are you calling helpless? Which, which one are you? Can you see yourself being the man on the mat? Do you readily embrace that helplessness? Because it's when we are weak and when we are helpless that the power of God is made strong in our lives. I'm powerless. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. Without God, I will die. When we get to the place, we say, that's me. That's me. Without God, I'll die. Then the power of God begins to be displayed in our lives. Second thing we see from the story is this. Be radically open. Be radically open. Jesus does some things that were not anticipated here. Completely unanticipated how ready are you for God to do something that you're not anticipating in your life? How open 
are you to that? The man on the mat knows what he needs. And everybody else in that house who he was lowered down in front, they know. They know what he needs too. That guy needs to be healed. That's why he's come. That's why his friends demolished that roof. So that he could get down in front of Jesus and Jesus could say, rise up and walk. That's what he needs. And everybody's on the same page except for one person in the room, Jesus. He's on a total different page. He sees something completely different. Jesus knows better than we do about what we need. You might say, hey, John, I know what I need. I need to be healed too. I've got a physical problem or what I, I need to be healed. Or you might say, I know what I need. I need more money. That's what I need, God. If you'd give me more money or I need a job. Or I need a promotion. I need a husband. I need a wife. That's what I need. But what does God say that we need? What's our primary need? So if, if our primary need was physical healing, then God the Father would have sent baby Jesus as a little baby doctor. Right? He would have been born. He'd have a little white coat on and a stethoscope. Here I am. If we, our primary need was money, God would have sent a little banker. Jesus would have come, little banker. What do bankers wear now? Like in the old movies, they used to wear like some funny thing on their whatever, right? A little visor or something, counting the money. If our you know, primary need would have been a job or a promotion, well, we would have got a career coach. If our primary need you know, would have been a husband or a wife, I guess Jesus would have been like a little Cupid running around with the arrow. But that's not our primary need. Our primary need is a savior. And so when Jesus Christ looks at the paralytic, he goes right after his primary need. Now, Jesus sees deep into the heart of us, every single one of us. This is what we're told in John 2.25. It says, Jesus, about Jesus. He could read men's hearts. Jesus knows what he's doing. And the question is, are we radically open to that? When it comes to the issue of forgiveness, Warren Wearsby says uh, just an incredible quote here. I want to read it to you. It's on the outline. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus performs. It meets the greatest need. It costs the greatest price. And it brings the greatest blessing. When the paralytic is forgiven, when he's forgiven, all of his secondary needs follow that. When his primary need is met, everything else follows from that. And he launches onto his feet and he struts out to some people cheering and some people jeering. The religious leaders, the self-righteous who did not need a doctor, they did not need a doctor. They hated Jesus for it. It was at the end of chapter two that we read that the plot was set in place to murder Jesus Christ as a result of this, as the result of the healing, as the result of the calling of the tax collector. They said, we got to kill this guy. The self-righteous, the ones who had all the power. The ones who had all the power and were not helpless said, we've got to kill this guy. Jesus goes on and he talks about new wine and old wineskins. Unless we are radically open. So, so here's how it goes with the wine and the wineskin thing, right? You've got an old wine bottle and it's already expanded itself. It's all of its flexibility is gone, and now it's become rigid. And you pour new wine into it. You do something new, right? Pour something new in it, and the new wine causes it to expand more. Except for this, it can't expand anymore. It can't expand anymore. So what happens is, is all the power of the new wine just explodes the old wine skin. This is 
is that you? Is that me? Like, am I done being open? Am I done being open to what God would have to say to me in my life? Today, we're going to have communion, right? In communion, Jesus' words are really clear, that in that cup and in that bread, we stand before Jesus Christ. We stand before Jesus. When we come and stand before Jesus today, we say, you know, God, I need this in my life. What if he says, you know what, you don't need this. You need this over here. How open are you, how open am I to saying, yep, you're right. Are you radically open or have you already allowed yourself to become stretched? Because if you're already to the max and you're not radically open anymore, you and I, we can't experience the power of God anymore in our lives because we've stretched ourselves all the way. Two very important things get destroyed in these stories, a roof and a career. A roof and a career. They demolish that roof. And Matthew allowed his career to get demolished. You know how it worked with tax collectors back then? They had to buy. It's like a franchise, like he bought a Domino's, right? You buy into a franchise. You spend your own money, you get the franchise, and then you get the backing of the Roman soldiers, and you collect taxes from people. And then you extort people off of those taxes too, all right? So you say, well, you know, you owe this much. And if they said, I don't owe that much, that's not right. They say, yes, you do. Unless you do, we're going to kill you. And so they pay up. And so they stole from people, and they, they were very hated. Tax collectors weren't allowed at church. They weren't allowed to go to church. They weren't allowed to give a testimony in a court of law. Very controversial to be a tax collector. Now, one of the things the tax collectors did, particularly in Capernaum, is they collected tax off the fishing industry because fishing was big. And so Jesus says to Levi, come on and follow me. Now, who are half of Jesus' followers? What do they do? What's their former occupation? And they're all living in the same town. Jesus better know what he's doing. He better know what he's doing or he's going to have a total meltdown with his inner circle, right? If your inner circle melts down around you, you got a problem. He better know what he is. Jesus better know better than you and I about what he's doing with their lives and he better know better than you and I what he's doing because if not, they're going to be killing each other. He also called a guy named Simon the Zealot. We don't read about it here, but he calls him. You know what zealots are? Zealots had committed themselves to murdering anybody who was in cahoots with the Romans. Levi was in cahoots. He was working for the Romans. So there was, Jesus better know what he is doing when he does this. Last point, be radically helpful to others. So we've got the, we've got the man on the mat. He's radically helpless. He's powerless. And when we become powerless, that's when the power of God. When we say, God, unless I have you, I am going to die. Unless we are approaching God that way, we will never experience the full power of God. Never is going to happen. We're all sitting around wondering, God, how can I get your power? There you go. Helpless. Radically open. But to be flexible. God knows me better than I know myself. God knows the world better than anything. God knows better. And finally, we have to be radically helpful to other people. All right? So we've got these four friends. And they're helping the powerless man on the mat get in front of Jesus. In order for him, they're thinking to themselves, if we can just get our buddy in front of Jesus Christ, it's going to transform his life. Like, 
We know that something is going to happen here. Now, we see the four friends. They give a lot of time and energy and effort, and they put themselves in a dangerous situation. Like, they're up on top of that roof. It's serious demolition. And they've got their sledgehammers out because it's concrete. People were used to be, and they're just whacking away on that roof. That, the whole thing could have fallen in, but they didn't care. They wanted to get their buddy. Now, also, think about this. Who owns that house? They're demolishing somebody's roof. I mean, it doesn't say it here, but I'm sure somewhere that a lawyer walked up at the end of that meeting and handed Jesus a card and said, hey, give me a call. I think we got a good case here. (laughs) Right? They're putting themselves at danger. They're giving time and energy. And what's really cool is it says here that Jesus saw their faith. What's their faith doing? It's very tangible. Their faith is climbing. It's climbing the steps outside the house to carry their friend. That took some time. That took some energy. Their faith is climbing. Then their faith is digging. It's whacking away, whacking away at the roof. And finally, their faith is lowering. It's lowering the man down. Now, how does it, how does it then say that the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers, what were they doing? It says their faith was sitting and critiquing. Their faith was sitting and critiquing as opposed to the four friends whose faith was climbing and digging and lowering you know the fastest way that we can run away from the power of god be a critical person when we allow ourselves to be a critical person that critical heart critical spirit whatever i mean we're just like like god's power is here and we're just like sprinting as fast as we can in the other direction you might say but hey man that's the way god made me i'm just kind of you know i just see things that are i see everything that's wrong just, just, that's the way i am well then change change because you can't be a critical person. You read the Pharisees were critical, 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 and never experienced the power of God. Even when the power of God was all around them, like, what? What's, I don't see anything. What's happening? They couldn't get it. They could not get it. So we have faith climbing, digging, lowering, while others are sitting and critiquing. Levi does the same thing. Just like the four friends say, we have got to get our buddy in front of Jesus, Levi says the exact same thing. He's all I've got to do is get my friends in front of Jesus Christ and powerful things are going to happen. Powerful things happen when we are in the presence of the Lord. God's presence is life changing. The scriptures tell us that in God's presence, we find purpose, we find peace, and we find power. Look at some of these verses I have for you in your outline. Psalm 1611 says, your presence fills me with joy. Fills me with joy. We've been talking about in the beginning. Remember two weeks ago, we did the, uh, we did the uh, stone song, I can't get no satisfaction. Does anybody recall that? Can't no satisfaction. Last week, you did Tom Brady, three Super Bowls, supermodel. He says, I'm totally unsatisfied, right? So all the things in the world, we think they should bring us satisfaction. We think that being healed will help us to feel satisfied. We think that more money and the right spouse or whatever it is that you're going after, it's going to give you satisfaction, and then you get it, and it doesn't. And what does it say right here? It says, I'll tell you what will fill you. What will satisfy you? The presence of God. The presence of God. Psalm 97. Mountains melt away like wax in the presence of the Lord. Mountains. You know what mountains represent in the Bible? Mountains represent problems. Problems. Your biggest problem that's the size of a mountain melts away in the presence of God. And then finally, Acts 3.19 so that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. We are refreshed 
in God's presence. God's presence is what we need. God's presence is what the world needs. All over this world today, all over this world today, people are going to church. And their number one desire is to experience the presence of God. Number one, way beyond anything else. That's the craving. I want to experience the presence of God. I want to meet Jesus. And we can help. We can radically help people meet Jesus. We want to talk about that. Don't tune me out a second, okay? We're going to do something logistical, and we're going to close this message. So Tina's going to come up and explain something to you. Uh, We started last week something called Grace Encounter. And it's simply this. It's simply, it's a tweet. It's a tweet. Oh, yeah. You know how to turn it on, Tina? It's a little high for you. Oh, look at this shirt she's wearing. Gosh. I don't know that I want you to speak now. <laughs> did you intentionally do that? Yeah, no, you intentionally did. Yes, I shouldn't I did. even ask the question. I hate to bring wisdom to the stage. Okay, we want to talk about something. <laughs> we want to talk about something very logistical. We're going to show you some slides here. This is really important. Hang with me. There is a, there's a purpose for what we're about to do. It's very important. Please. Go ahead. Okay. Um, hi. Good morning. How many of you guys are on Twitter already? Okay, that's a good amount of people. Yes, we will be talking about you. Okay, great. This is, I'm just going to run through what's actually in the middle of your bulletin, some instructions for um, how to follow Grace on Twitter. And for those of you who aren't on Twitter, I might have an extra bonus point for you guys as well. Okay, they gave me a laser pointer. So, oh, it doesn't show the browser on the very top. Then I can be able to change it. (laughs) <laughs> no, the very top, okay, I'll, I'll just improvise. The very top of the browser, which this isn't working. Okay, we're just going to go to twitter.grace, or I'm sorry, twitter.com slash graceencounter. It's also in your bulletin. And remember, it's two E's, so grace and encounter. When you go to grace, that site, you will see uh, Pastor John right here, gem of a face right there as well. And then you come and see his tweets. Now, the next slide will show you, once you get on this page, you just, over there to the right, okay. Uh, To the right, you will see the tab that says follow, and you click follow. And after you click follow, you will see this box come up if you aren't currently on Twitter. So for those of you who are not on Twitter, you can go ahead and fill that out and just click sign up. Next slide. And then once you do that, and for those of you who are already on Twitter, you can go here where it says turn on mobile notification. After that, you will see another pop-up box that says before you can set up uh, Twitter mobile notifications, you have to set up your phone. This is for those of you who already don't have that on Twitter. And those of you who are new to Twitter, Twitter as well. Once you click on that, you go to mobile, you put in your number, and then at the bottom you see activate phone. After that, It'll be a screen. When you scroll down, you will see this text notification. So what's really important is that where it says tweets from people you've enabled for mobile notifications, please click that. And the rest are all the other options as well. And then you click Save Changes at the bottom. And then you go back to twitter.com slash graceencounter or back in your history and click on Turn on Mobile Notifications. And then after that, 
you will see that. You will now receive mobile notifications for Grace. And it'll flash for about two seconds, so you may miss it, but once you start getting his tweets, they'll come straight to your phone, you'll get vibrator, beep however you want it, so you always have constant communication with our Pastor John. Okay, we don't expect you to remember all that, but we wanted to put a visual in front of you because we're visual learners, we're verbal learners, all those. Thank you. Very, how about a round of applause, Tina? So, all right, this, you're thinking like, why did you just waste my time with that? There's a reason. Just give me a, just a second. And Tina is going to be outside. Tina, how about be around that planter right in front? And she can talk. Is that cool? The planter out in front of the doors. Yeah in that dumb Dallas Cowboy shirt. You'll find her out there. And you can ask her about that. Now, I want to explain to you why that's so important. You know, I want you to get my tweets. That's not it. There's a very specific, and there's also a very specific reason of why we want you to turn on that mobile notification so that when the tweet comes through, boom, you get it when it comes through. And I'm going to explain that. Let me go back. God's presence changes everything. God's presence changes it. When people, that's the, what they desire more than anything else. I'm thinking back over my life. And I can take you back to a church just right down the street from here. And I can take you to the exact spot, to the pew where I was kneeling at many years ago. When out of nowhere, not expecting it, not asking for it, people were praying for me to have it. But I felt like God just showed up. It was so startling. I thought, whoa. And out of that moment, I felt called to the ministry. And that's changed my life forever. It happened in God's presence. I can take you to another spot at that same church on the opposite side, the opposite side of that sanctuary, where I was kneeling down with that, at that point, my girlfriend, Krista. And both of us were praying, not out loud together, just separately kneeling on our knees, and all of a sudden it felt like God fell on us like a blanket. And both of us felt that God said, yeah, this is the one. And we both shot up, I'll never forget, we both shot up and looked at each other, and thought, did you feel that? We were praying private, just quietly. Did you feel that? I can't take you to this next spot because it happened 35,000 feet in the air. The third time I felt God's presence in a mighty, mighty way, which is also life-changing. I was on a flight from California to D.C. I'd been praying for 18 months. God, what do you want Grace Community Church to be? And I had no answers, no answers. And I sat on a plane that was absolutely empty. I thought the rapture had taken place. I did not know what was going on. It was totally freaky. I'm sitting in a section of the plane. It's a daytime flight. The flight attendants turned the lights out because there's nobody else in the section. It was weird. I'm telling you, it was weird. But God had a purpose for all of that. And I'm sitting there. My in my business and I just said God you know I've been praying for 18 months about this I'm clueless and all of a sudden God showed up and God says I want you to be a church for people who don't go to church and I'll never forget it many people ask what does that mean to be a church for people who don't go to church sign up for the next step we'll tell you it's right there on your connect card sign up for that we'll tell you what it means that changed my life when people when you help people get into the presence of God it will change their lives. That is what Levi did. That's what the four friends did. And if we want to experience the power of God, one of the quickest ways to do it is to be helpless, to be open, and to help others get in the presence of God. So what does that have to do with tweeting? There's, there's, there's only one thing about this tweet. There's only, one, there's only one thing. There's nothing else about this tweet. My tweet is basically this. I'm hitting my knees for God's presence. Will you please join me? That's the tweet. There's no other meetings that go with it. There's no other long tweet. There's nothing. There's nothing. And why is it important that all of us do that at the same time? Here's the picture in your mind that I'd like you to have when the tweet comes through. You're on top of the roof with a sledgehammer. And when it comes through, 
I'm not talking about you sitting down and praying for three hours for God's presence. You can do that if you want. But I'm talking about you're going to swing that sledgehammer as hard as you can on top of that roof because you're believing that God is going to break a hole in that roof and lower your friends who sit all around you all the time right into the very presence of God. I was thinking last week, how are we going to know if this works? Last week was the first time we did it. And I met uh, a brand new couple that came here. They're actually their uh, relatives of people who come here all the time. They're from out of town. They won't come here anymore. So they're out of town. And I met them. They hadn't even been to the service yet. And they said, they were just at the door. They said, this place is so alive. They said, so alive. I thought, man, you haven't even heard the music yet. How do you know it's so alive? You haven't even had a cup of coffee yet. How do you know it's so alive here? And I was leaving church last week. I began to think about that. And I thought, you know what? God, thank you for that sign. Where the presence of the Lord is, there is life. Today is communion. Celebrate communion today. When you come and you stand here, first I want to say this, communion is open to everybody. You might say, but I'm not a member of your church. We don't have a membership, so you don't have to worry about that. You might say, I'm a sinner. Good, I am too. Join the club. Open to absolute, we want everybody to feel welcome. Welcome to take communion. And when you come and you take that piece of bread and you dip it into the cup and you eat it, here's what I'd like you to consider to being on the forefront of your mind, to saying to God, saying to Jesus as you stand before Jesus, what is it? that I need to do? What is it that you're speaking to me today? What is it, Father? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I thank you, God, for the power of your word. I thank you for, God, the promises of your presence and the transformation that it brings. Father, I ask that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing a song, and uh, we encourage you just to come whenever you feel moved to come to, uh, to take communion. God bless.